Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about new Census Bureau numbers, Jay Powell's latest remarks, and what to expect from inventory. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday. It's lovely to be here, Sarah. Lovely to have you on. We have much to talk about as always. So let's start out with the Census Bureau releasing some new data, which uh, of course you had fun with on, on Twitter. I know you love census data. So let's talk about what you got out of that. So of course, myself, uh, uh, I'm a demographics guy. And what we have always talked about uh, with demographics and housing, it's just Household formation and this basic simple model. People rent, they date, they mate, they get married three and a half years after marriage, they have kids, people that can afford it typically buy single family homes. So housing was always going to be a year's 2020 to 2024 story. And the reason I say this is because in the previous decade, uh, for those who never followed my work back then, I've always talked about that we were going to have the weakest housing recovery ever from 2008 to 2019. It's like we have to work our household formation up. And we're not going to hit certain sales levels or uh, housing stars or new home sales until years 2020 to 2024. And uh, the main ones, purchase application data was never going to get to 300 until years 2020 to 2024. And right on cue, the second week of the year in 2020, we hit 300. Um, so here, I think a lot of the discussion is what does America look like for the rest of the century? So in some cases, uh, if we had no immigration, we're going to have major population declines. Uh, a, a, the baseline uh, um, forecast for this uh, was uh, our population was going to peak around uh, 366 million uh, in year 2100 and above. Now, that gives us what I always say our advantage as a country is that other countries, their population growth is falling. Like Japan's, by the end of the century, for, uh, 40% of total, Japan's population will be dead. So it's uh, it's just demographics is economics. We have a, a what I call a healthy number replacement buyers and consumers, right? Eventually, demographics take everyone, and uh, uh, you know you just don't have enough demand for uh, uh, certain goods and services to keep the sales growth going. Now, countries like India, uh, Africa, the Middle East, they're very young. They're, they have they're going to have a, a, a booming growth phase. Us, we're for a mature economy. We just have a lot of replacement workers, consumers, and then we have immigration come in. So we're in a different boat. One of the things I've always seen on social media over the years is that everyone says, we're Japan. We're about to have the biggest you know, flood of inventory because every baby boomer is dying. And we it happened again, Sarah Wheeler. They brought the silver tsunami again. Somebody who never talks about housing is an old Wall Street analyst comes up and says, oh, the baby boomers, they might all downsize at once. You better watch out. But uh, I digress. And uh, the, the silver tsunami was a 2015 to 2025 story. The first baby boomer hit 62 in 2008, which means it would be the biggest wave of selling we've ever seen in modern day history. Inventory is supposed to get to 26 to 32 million active inventories, a little bit over about a million today missed it by this much, you know? Um, so I think going out in the future, what we've, what we've seen for sure is that 
population growth is slowing. And uh, without immigration, right, uh, uh, the the production of homes needed going out decades in the future is just going to be less and less. And that's really goes with every economy that uh, has a, a, a population growth slowing. Now, of course, as a country, like two to 300,000 homes, we tear down and we have to build back up again. They're not livable. And there's going to be a lot of homes going out over the next uh, 30 to 50 years that simply won't be livable. They're just too old. They're, they need to be replaced. So always put that variable in there. But it does, I mean, for me, it was just showing you know how valuable uh, immigration and having Gen Z and millennials where other countries don't have replacement workers and consumers. And that's why I've always said, you know, the whole job openings 10 million early in the recovery was, hey, listen, the baby boomers are leaving the workforce. Nobody's Dorian Gray. We have to replace them. It's based on those kind of principles. So it's it, it, it wasn't really a shocking census report. It just confirms what I've always thought, you know, population growth is slowing, but unlike other countries, we're still rising. Uh, and thankfully, that's uh, all the immigration we've had really since – 18, 1820 and on, uh, uh, they come here, everybody comes here, raises their family, they, their family has kids and then they, they have kids. And it, it just, it, it, it's our strength as, as, as a country where people want to come here and, uh, um, our economy gives that, uh, ability for people to succeed where other countries like Japan hated immigration for a long time, but now they're like, Oh my God, robots aren't going to do everything for us. So, uh, they have to get immigration to come in. I think that's such a, a great point about us. So 2020 to 2024, the reason that you always, you know, pointed that out, as you said, was like that was peak home buying age for the millennials. But we have Gen Z coming up after them. Is there is there a, a peak home buying age that you're looking for them? No, not like that. Uh, we just have a very, very abnormal historic bump um, uh, for years, 2020 to 2024. And, you know, you timeline it to people buying homes later in life. Uh, this is why in the past, I always say people get married later in life. They have kids later in life. So you have to confront this all the way to years, 2020 to 2024. And in this case, it's not, um, it's not that we don't have a lot of people that are Gen Z. We just don't have this once in a lifetime. But this is why I've always found it interesting that a lot of the bearish housing people are what I call population doomsday cult people. They don't forecast anything. They just sit here and go, we're all going to die. And all these homes are going to be like Japan. And think about your life, worrying about what happens in like 2070. And I, I, I always tell these people, nobody cares. It's like the scene in Jurassic Park. Dotson, Dotson, you know, nobody cares. People don't look at here and think, honey, we're not going to buy a home. We're going to wait 27 years. And when the baby boomers die in this one area, we're going to buy a house, then your wife will leave you. Okay. Trust me, right? Just nobody's having that conversation. Consumers have a six second time span, you know what? So they're just doing what it is for today. So down the line, it does happen. But years 2024, I've always found it odd that the population growth doomsday people never read a census report, Sarah. It, they never read. It's amazing how some groups of people who are doomsday cults don't read. And if you look at the history of human civilization, going back to the dark ages, going back to people that like to burn books, there's a reason why this group never reads. Because they don't want knowledge to go out. 
They want to dictate everything. And that's the part of doomsday cults or bearish American clans. They want to dictate a false narrative. So here we are, years 2020 to 2024, housing broke out before COVID-19 hit us. Looks perfectly normal because when you think of the aggregate home buyer, what is it? First time home buyer, move up buyer, move down buyer, cash buyer, investor. Homeowners vacancy rates are very low. It was a problematic time with inventory being so low. So it was like the worst time in history to have active inventory being so low with 100 over 150 million people working and this demographic match. So uh, down the line, eventually demographics get us all, but years 2020 to 2024, that's it. In fact, I don't, I've never even talked about housing after 2024. Oh, I know. That's, I've asked I, you. I'm I like, refuse, okay, let's talk about 2025. I even go there until the end because I needed to make sure that no, home prices don't escalate out of control uh, uh, during this period. And then we could address it. And guess what happened? Home prices escalate out of control. You got everyone who's listening to this. Remember, who was the person that was at the end of summer uh, 2020 say, hey, uh, we have a problem here. Uh, Home prices might escalate. Who was the person that said, no, the forbearance crash bros don't read. You're not going to have home prices crash in 2021. Who's the one that said, we need higher rates to kind of cool this down because, you know, home prices could escalate out of control. Who was the one in 2022 was saying, oh God, if rates come back down, we're going to, you know, this is not going to cure this. There's a reason for this, and this is the history of how to read economic data correctly. And um, at the end of 2024, I will talk about housing past that, but I've kept that five-year period in check, locked down. Don't go above it just because you, everyone gets to see now what happened. Home prices escalated out of control. Uh, because if you follow that downtrend in active listings inventory, you could see there could be a problem right about here. So Cross that bridge at the end of next year. Okay, stay tuned then. Okay, well, shifting topics a little bit, let's talk about the Fed. So we had quite the outburst from the Fed chair, Jay Sarah, Powell. Sarah, I want you uh, to close that bleeping door behind you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so explain what happened there. Uh, so uh, Jerome Powell was giving a speech and uh, a bunch of uh, – protesters on climate change people came in and he had hot mic was still on so you know when they were when the security was moving him away the president jerome powell said close the bleeping door on them so uh, of course that gets of course and that gets a huge uh you know roar from everyone on twitter and my thing is like this is why the fed isn't pivoting we're almost at thanksgiving and the, the people that think the fed's gonna pivot he's like Close the effing door on the Fed pivot, people. But um, the interesting thing about the remarks yesterday is that people uh, read it as very hawkish because some of the things he said, but particularly, we don't know if we are sufficiently uh, restrictive enough. And listen, I understand the frustration of the Fed. One Fed president says, we're very restrictive. The other Fed president says, I don't know what's going on. And then Jerome Powell says, I don't know. You have to remember, the Fed tries to talk markets down and up. Uh, and after the 10-year yield has come down uh, so much in a very fast time, that he chose those words. I, I don't believe him, but he chose them. So the Fed looks like it's done. It's good just try reading economic data going out for the next uh, year on this, on when they think they need to cut rates, but it really depends on the growth rate of inflation. So uh, I, I think the mistake take was that bond yields shot up before uh, Jerome Powell spoke because we had a very bad auction. 
And then they started heading back down again and, and Powell talked and yields went up and, and the market sold, the stock market sold off. So it's one of those episodes. We're gonna we're gonna get times where we're gonna get really bad bond auctions and then you know the Fed sticks in and, and says something. So it's it's more or less um a lot of people read that to be very hawkish. Uh I think David Stevens even said that uh uh Jerome Powell's a dangerous man, you know, and and for me it's you know, we're sitting here today, the Michigan Consumer Confidence Index comes out. And what's what's occurring right now is because the cost of living has gone up so much because of the Fed rate hikes, I just want to remind everyone, whenever Jerome Powell talks, he says, our job is to help the people that with the lowest incomes because they can't. The lowest income brackets are now getting hit on the credit side. We're starting to see credit card and auto loan stress start to pick up. It's the group that Jerome Powell says that he's trying to help. You raise the cost of living because the two most expensive things that, or the biggest things that people buy in their lifetimes, a home or a car, have gone up so much, it's starting to hit the confidence mood. So if there was a Fed blind spot, it would be probably this. Because if they're talking about inflation, well, the cost of living has already gone up because the cost of debt, it's a credit society. So uh, it's starting to wear on the consumer in that bracket. And you can imagine, I mean, you know, if somebody says, I'm, you know, I can buy a house at five and a half percent mortgage rates. I can't buy a house. I don't qualify at eight percent. And every year that person goes by, it's closer to death, Sarah. So, uh, you know, nobody, nobody's Dorian Gray, not even me. But, you know, every year that goes by, it just starts to build up. There starts to be more depressed kind of attitude. So, I don't think the Fed revolves policy 100% around confidence indexes or inflation expectations, but it's something they keep in mind of. But they totally always ignore the internals of that, you know, where uh, the frustration is that uh, auto loans have gone up so much in terms of cost. Home buying has gone up because of mortgage rates. Construction loans now have gone up so much, it doesn't even make sense for people to finish projects. So those are getting pilled. Eventually, when you stay long enough, um, it starts to impact the economy. And one of the things uh, Jerome Powell did mention uh, uh, yesterday is that you know there he he says, well, you know, if the growth rate of inflation is here and the Fed funds rate is here, we're we're, we're very restrictive in that sense. So it is important that the growth rate of inflation keeps falling because in the Fed's mind, if that continues, they would cut rates even without the labor market breaking next year. So. We're starting to get into a little bit more interesting data line sets because we're starting to see the first wave of lower income credit stress or younger Americans credit stress. Those with low FICO scores, credit stress typically is the case. It's the first wave out here. Um, so I think there, a lot of people took a lot of different things. I just said Fed just tries to talk the market down or up. But we do have a game plan for next year that if the growth rate of inflation keeps falling, the Fed will cut rates. Right, just based on that principle, they still believe that the real yields are are restrictive in that sense. So, you know, at least we, I feel like today we're not sitting here talking about like as we're speaking, the ten year yield is doing these wild moves. Mortgage rates are going up and down, but we did from this time last week over over a week, we had almost a, a point difference, right? Well, you know, mortgage rates fell very aggressively, and for some people that were quoted eight percent, some people were getting quoted seven or under. A seven percent mortgage rates. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm just never a fan of when when the market is this wild up or down because I just think it's harder and harder to tr- make choices. 
a, a very slow, methodical decline and get everyone kind of into the move is, is preferable rather than go from eight to seven, seven to seven and a half, seven to seven and a quarter, seven and a quarter is eight. You know, housing, you remember, it's your biggest item you're going to buy in your life. Uh, so sellers need to feel comfortable that I'm going to list my home because I think X rate's going to be here. Well, if it jumps on you, why, why, what did I just do? So volatility, you know, we're, I'm not staying up to one o'clock in the morning looking at the 10 year yield overnight trading anymore. So things have gotten a lot better on that front, but, uh, we're, we're getting in, in such a very interesting part of the economic cycle because we're at the part where when real yields are this restrictive and the market believes fed has done hiking rates, things, bond yields go down, mortgage rates go down. The recession is not that far off. That's the history of economics. There are things that we have to uh, use because what Sarah, mother economics, she is a serial killer and she wants to be caught. She will leave you crumbs around. And so we're seeing some crumbs. We're seeing some historical crumbs, some some uh, real-time credit stress crumbs. But uh, uh, eventually, you keep rates high enough. It not only impacts future supply, but it impacts demand enough. We see this in housing. Jobs are being lost. Incomes are being lost. Um, and uh, it's starting to hit the mood of people because they're, the cost of living is frustratingly high to them. So you mentioned that like, as these costs go up, for instance, sometimes building projects stop. Um, do we see that yet in the in the residential sector, in the residential building? We don't, we don't see that yet in the single-family permits are still growing because the new home sales market is a sub-6% world. The builders will do what's needed to move product because that's their business, right? They build, they sell, they build, they sell. So uh, apartment boom is done, right? What a great run, you know, but uh, it just doesn't make sense with construction loans. I mean, people aren't in the business to lose money, right? So uh, actually, you know what, one of my... um, long-term demographic things that we wrote about in 2021, right? The builders will never oversupply a market. Why would they do that? That'd ruin their business. Profit margins will go down. So uh, their biggest competition is the existing home sales market. And there was a lot more supply in the previous decade. Now, not so much. They're here, okay, we're taking advantage. Uh, but when that ends, right, they're not going to be building massively. This is, this is I, I probably think this is the biggest thing I disagree with with everyone in the housing community. I don't believe the builders underbuilt in the previous decade. I 100% That is a hot take right there. That that was the weakest new home sales cycle. That was my whole thing. We we're going to have the weakest new home sales cycle ever. And because of that, you were never going to get a housing start. I mean, it's a long economic tail call, you know, to say we're not going to get 1.5 million housing starts until years 2020 to 2024. But we had missed sales in 2013, 2014, 2015. We had a supply spike in 2018 where the builders were like, oh my God, it's the worst quarter since the Great Recession. Such babies sometimes. But in, in any case, um, they build off of demand curves. They don't build off of, well, we need we need two to three more million homes. Let's build a lot of them and see you know, what happens because they have to sell those new homes. The new home on paper and on apples to apples basis is more expensive than existing. So that's why we had the weakest. And I, to my grave, this is where I draw the line with everyone else. I don't believe they underbuilt just because they sell to oh, what their demand curve is. And we had four years of missed sales estimates. By the way, weren't working from a high level either. 
we're working from the lowest levels of new home sales history. So uh, it wasn't like we had a very high bar. So different now, right? Household formation is different now. So uh, the builders are not like a lot of people thinking new home sales have to go back down to two, 300,000. And guess what? It reversed, right? Uh, builders have a product that people want and they'll cut rates and they'll sell it, right? So they, that, that'll keep the single family permits going for now. But uh, eventually in time, you know, if the builders can't, and, and we have to remember the big builders are doing this. The smaller ones aren't. Smaller ones don't have the money. So uh, when we see these builder confidence index start to fall noticeably, just remember the smaller ones are really getting hurt here. Uh, they don't have the capacity where the bigger builders still have some wiggle room left. Hi, listeners. HousingWire's Tech 100 is the most prestigious tech award program in the industry, recognizing innovation in mortgage and real estate since 2014. Nominations for 2024 will be open from November 14th to December 15th, and you can get all the details and apply at housingwire.com slash tech 100. So you and I have talked a lot about um, the fact that, you know, watching uh, the multifamily construction is really important because, or, or just that whole sector, because, you know, that's what the Fed looks at. Like if rent inflation starts coming down, if rent inflation falls, then that has an impact on what they think about the economy, what they do with rates. And that's such a lagging sector, right? I mean, you, you set rents last year, you, you don't know that rents are falling until, you know, demand goes down this year. So where, what are we seeing that if you think that the uh, apartment boom is over? Well, we're going to have, I mean, the, the real-time rents are actually negative year over year in some parts of the U.S. In some parts they are. The single family rents are holding up a lot better than the apartments, right? The apartments are just being, there's a lot of supply coming on uh, uh, in certain cities. Like, you know, Austin has a lot of supply there because they've been building a lot, you know? So, um, but eventually, you know, years down the line, you know, we don't really have like major rental deflation in this country just because most people are working and people pay for rent. Or, I mean, if, if it was a homeless theory, we, instead of having six, 700,000 people homeless, we would have, you know, 17 to 25 million people homeless. We don't. So rent uh, is always rising in a sense. So is the growth rate of inflation. We have pockets where we have, you know, maybe some disinflation or deflationary aspects, but traditionally rents hold up. Eventually, in time, the production is all going to fall down. Uh, I don't have the chart to show you, but in the 74, 75 recession, we had this multifamily boom and it just collapsed and never really recovered for, for a long period of time. Here, I expect the similar things. And uh, one of the things I talked about with CNBC uh, about like a month ago, uh, construction, employment, people losing their jobs, Fed is like, yes, more labor supply. So what is the one area where higher rates actually can? Well, construction loans, uh, construction employment, these things can get hit. More uh, labor supply grows, more people lose their jobs, less spending. The Fed wants this, this isn't happy for them. They're not getting it. So they're just kind of still still playing the slightly hawkish tone here. But uh, it is, it is, it is, it's, it's over in that sense. And I do expect that in a few years, you know, we might have some underbuilt areas because we're going to slow down the process. But uh, for now, the growth rate of rent is has been falling. It's just going to take some time to lag to the CPI data, and then eventually it'll pick up again. That's we don't have like shelter inflation. The only time we've had like really deflationary data was like a very brief amount of time after the housing bubble crash, and 
we had rental vacancies and homeownership vacancies and inventory was so much higher back then. Plus, we had we authentically had millions of people lose their jobs. Um, so uh, it, it's hard to rent or buy a home when you don't have an employment. But uh, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a shame, but it's it's just how capitalism works, right? You don't oversupply a marketplace to hurt your business model. So we wrote about this in 2021. I don't expect this to to change if they can't sell those homes. Well, let's turn now to one of our favorite topics to talk about on Friday, and that is inventory, inventory. Now we are coming up on the holiday season, which, you know, obviously this is part of the seasonality of the housing market. Like, you know, there's a reason why in the spring and summer it's, it's going, it's going great. And then in the fall and winter, it it tends to fall. So what do you think we're going to see? Are you going to still bat zero? I'm unfortunately think I'm batting a zero because it's it's very late in the year. In the last two weeks, the growth rate of inventory has started to decline and rates fell a little bit. So maybe that closes some transactions earlier than it would have um, at 8%, but it wasn't wasn't a good year. It wasn't a good year. I, 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 I try to stress this to people. It was one of the slowest inventory years we'll ever see considering how high rates were and how low demand was. Now the growth rate of inventory did pick up when mortgage rates were heading toward 8%, uh, but it never hit my 11 to 17,000. And what I do for myself, nobody should care about with other analysts or anything. This is just my version of how I look at the data. Uh, um, And we sit here today, inventory is still negative year over year. Price cut percentages are 4% below. We'll see if that still continues uh, uh, next week. And new listings data is trending at the lowest levels ever recorded history, but it's finding a bottom. I think the one positive story for 2023 is that uh, we didn't take a new leg lower in the new listings data. And that's good because sellers are buyers. They have to find an area where they find a bottom. What would have been more detrimental is the new listings data taking another leg lower because we got to 8%. So we've had a really good uh, a year to test this. And so far, uh, just like when I talked about this on CNBC maybe seven weeks ago, that I expect us to see some flat to positive year-over-year data and new listings only because the bar is low. That's it. There's nothing Nothing else is really happening. Um, uh, and we're seeing some of that occur, but that's just the convergence toward the end of the year and it's working from the lowest levels. Do not let anybody tell you and otherwise. There's some people that go, oh, new listing is growing year-over-year. People are rushing to sell. No, they're not. It's trending at the lowest levels ever recorded in the history of America. Even a simple fanatic could understand this. So you should too, okay? There's nothing going on here. There's nothing going on on the inventory side. It's been terribly slow all year. So um, so we'll see how this, I, I, I think the spring of, of 2024 gets very interesting, but hopefully we don't have the seasonal bottom in March and April. Hopefully the seasonal bottom is January and February. So we could get more inventory, more choices. These are good things for the housing market, uh, having inventory down here and staying here, not the best. I mean, there are, there are times, you know, we don't believe in these crash things. Um, I mean, unless the data starts showing it to us, it's not like you have an ideological stance against it. You're trying to follow the data, but it would be great if some people wanted, you know, if there were some of these small things that like, Oh, people are rushing to sell great rushing to list. We see none of that. Um, You know, it's the 2008 disease. You know, uh, when I'm done writing, I'm going to get my medical degree and I'm going to say what happened in 2008, it warped a lot of 
young men or middle-aged men uh, who are very susceptible to fanatical thinking, and that's the history of human civilization, that you can you can get men who don't show their names and faces who are cowards, and they just basically think 2008, and they do big, short you know, video gifts. And you, I've always, I, Sarah, I'm not joking when I say this. There are people who don't know they're part of a cult. And, and if you look at, if you look at the history of cults going back thousands of years, this is not just thing you get your mind so wrapped about 2008. And when you're a fanatic and you basically wake up every single day and doom porn is your life and the darkness, the whatever the devil has done to your soul, right? Being alive is a pain you can't live with. And the 2008 disease, which I've documented for a very long time, is really interesting because there are some men who just literally, instead of enjoying life, have basically warped themselves to a doomsday cult and everything is 2008. So 2008 inventory skyrocketed. It escalated out of control. You know, I had this very interesting uh a Twitter debate by somebody who says, you're just a mortgage broker. No, I'm not a loan officer. Uh, well, you don't know what it is. I said, I'll challenge any human being to a live debate because if I could get people to speak their names and faces, I can tear them apart. Here, inventory was rising from 2000 to 2005. Why? We read. We can read. It shows us this. The escalation happened in 2005 to seven. The exact thing has been happening for 13 years. So when men see this, they always think 2008, 2008, 2008, everybody's broke, everybody's poor, everybody's this, and it doesn't happen. It totally messes with your mind, and then you realize you're 13 years older. Doesn't get doesn't get better for men when they get older, Sarah. I'm telling you. This is, a, this is why the whole Dorian Gray thing, it doesn't get better. Things don't work, okay? Things get bad when you get older. So it really, the darkness, this takes you up and then you just become a troll like army. Okay. Person. Well, you know what? We are, we are far afield from my expertise. So, so we will end there, but um, thank you so much, Logan. Thanks for bringing the insights that we always need and um, you know, some extra commentary that makes it entertaining as always. So thank you. Are you saying I'm entertaining in that sense? Oh, yes. Oh, Sarah Wheeler, yes, you have not seen me do my really hardcore live debating. Like my merciless, you know, Genghis Kong kind of stuff. Oh, it would, it would just be. Oh, if if I am showing mercy to a lot of people, like we did this last year. Like literally, I put on social. I want everyone to tell me why home prices didn't crash because it's November 9th last year when I was trying to tell people the housing market dynamics. I want somebody to tell me what happened. Right. They're smart enough at least to know when to shut up right? They're smarter. Have a model, follow your model, let your data tell you what's going on and stop putting your head down and just saying 20%, 20%, 25%, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I don't track housing. I don't do anything. I don't even have a real name, but I believe I'm right. Or I'm just trolling. I'm just doing it for attention. Yes. Well, either way, we appreciate you and all of your analysis and the numbers and data you bring. So thank you, Logan. I'll talk to you again soon. Pleasure. As always, everyone have a wonderful weekend, even though you'll hear this on Monday. And just remember, all American bears have failed since 1790. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight. 